With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warmer for the Evo. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. We've got a great show for you guys. Matt Menace, he does great work over at Champions Round, is going to be joining me in segment number two. I know that he has been quite invested with regards to this NL Central race. He is someone that is very much tied in with the Chicago sports teams. And so much of White Sox is for the White Sox. It has been a pretty brutal year for them, to say the least. But we're going to be taking a look at just how the Cubs have been able to have this turnaround for once and the attributes there. We're going to be gauging the NL Central. We're going to talk a little bit about the AL West in the back half as well because that has become a very fascinating race. Though they lost on Saturday, the Seattle Mariners have been able to really create some heat with regards to that West race, with regards to the AL wildcard as well. So we're going to be talking about that with Matt in segment number two. In the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated them from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Saturday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The Mets have played about 68% of their home games to the under this year, and in their doubleheader, they had one over and one under, and the one over was not necessary thanks to them. 21-3. to In game number one, the Atlanta Braves were able to get the job done. And then some Elm Winatis, hopefully I said that correctly. He went seven scoreless settings. He did have Michael Tonkin give up three runs in an inning of work. And got to the point where Nicky Lopez, fresh from the Kansas City Royals, he is a position player. Pitch a scoreless setting as well as for the Atlanta Braves. You had Matt Olson get a pair of home runs. His 41st and 42nd home runs of the campaign. Sean Murphy, Home run 19 of the season. Ozzy Albies, 27th home run season. Austin Riley, 28th home run season. And Lopez got a home run in the same inning in which he pitched a scoreless inning. His first 
of the season and first with the Atlanta Braves for Denny Reyes. It was his first start in quite some time and it was not the start that he was looking for. He allows five runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings and among any pitcher in this one, he had the lowest ERA as Reed Garrett gives up six runs in two and a third innings allowing a pair of homers. Josh Walker from there comes in. He allows a pair of runs going two-thirds of an inning, giving up two home runs. And Daniel Mendick had to pitch a final four outs. He gave up eight runs along the way, giving up a pair of homers. And in game two, the Mets embarrassed themselves a little bit less on the mound, but they still lose. Six to zero the final for the Atlanta Braves. One deep on this one, Ozzie Albies, 28th home run season. That comes off of Phil Bickford in the ninth inning as this game was 1-0 going into the eighth inning and then the bullpen just completely toilet pulled it. Jose Quintana, solid start, gives up one run over the course of six innings. Very tough luck loser there. He's 0-4 with a 3-0-3 ERA, by the way. Trevor Gott, squirrel inning, and then you had Drew Smith allowed three runs, two of which were earned in a third of an inning, and Phil Bickford, one and two-thirds innings, he allows that home run to Ozzie Albies and for Spencer Strider. Strikeouts were a little bit down in this one, just six strikeouts, but seven scoreless innings. Scoreless innings, in my opinion, a little bit more of a premium on those and strikeouts. And then from there, A.J. Minter, Rossi Iglesias. They were both able to supply a scoreless inning. The Milwaukee Brewers get another one-run win. They've been doing a lot of that recently, 3-2. to two. They do get the job done over the Chicago White Sox and for the Milwaukee Brewers. They have won each out of their last three games by one run, and dating back to last Saturday, they've had four one-run wins in this time span for the Brew Crew. You had Brandon Woodruff supply a relatively solid start. Gives up two runs over the course of six and a third innings. He did allow a home run to Yoan Moncada. That was his fourth home run season, and Jesse Schultons, he takes a loss, but not a bad outing by him by any stretch of the imagination. Gives up three runs over the course of six and a third innings. Brian Shaw, pair of outside the bullpen, scoreless, and then you did get two scoreless settings as well. Out of the young gun in the lane, Ramsey, but for the White Sox, just one of five with men in scoring position, and the bullpen of the Brewers got the job done. Devin Williams scored this inning to be able to get his 28th save of the season, then Hobie Milner, Elvis Piguero provide five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. The Detroit Tigers take down the Boston Red Sox by a count of 6-2 as Brian Bale is now giving up three-plus runs in four out of his last five starts. Gives up four runs in four and two-thirds innings, including a pair of homers. Going deep for Detroit, you had Eric Hosk get home run number four of the season and Gary Carpenter is 14th of the campaign. He would then go deep off of Kyle Bearclaw for his 15th home run season and Spencer Torkelson goes deep off of Brendan Bernardino. His 18th home run season for Bernardino goes two-thirds in an inning, allowing that sole home run. John Schreiber, Mauricio Lovero combined for five outs of the bullpen scrolls before Bearclaw allows that sole home run over the course of his two innings of work and Justin Turner down for what? The main form of offense for Boston. 18th home run season that comes off of Bo Brisky as for Boston. They go 0 of 11 with men in scoring position. I think that we're seeing the good luck they've, they've had with their hitting in Boston start to regress just a little bit as Matt Manning. Very good start. One under run given up in five and a third innings. Tyler Holton, two outside the bullpen scoreless. Bobreski gives up that solo home run in one and a third innings before Jason Foley is able to come in. He gets five outside the bullpen scoreless. We're certainly going to be talking about this with Matt Minnis a bit more in segment number two, but the Cubs, they get a five to four win over the Toronto Blue Jays. For Justin Seal, not necessarily the world's greatest of starts, allows home run number 11 of the season to Whit Merrifield. 
gives up three runs over the course of five innings, but the bullpen at his back. Michael Fulmer gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning, but Mark Leiter Jr. gets the team out of the sixth inning, and then Jose Cuas, Julian Merriweather, Adbear Alsley, then we'll give you a squirrel setting, and Dansby Swanson goes deep off of Chris Bassett, who's taking hook, line, and sinker in this 118th home run season for Bassett. Gives up four runs in six innings. From there, Yimmy Garcia, Eric Swanson, both London squirrel setting, and Jordan Nix. Does what he did with the St. Louis Cardinals. Allows runs to NL Central teams. Giving up a run in his inning of work. So the Blue Jays may take a little bit of a rough loss. But at the very least, the New York Yankees, they also took a loss. 3-1 to one the final. As for the Yankees, pitching was not bad in this one. It was a little bit of a surprise appearance for Johnny Brito with the injury to Nestor Cortez. And for Michael King, they were planning to give him a little bit more length. But he was a bit shaky, giving up two runs over the course of two innings. Including a home run to Luis Arise, his fourth home run of the season. But... From there, Johnny Burrito gives up one run over the course of five innings. Keenan Middleton, a squirrel ascending, but Sandy Alcantara, complete game, gives up one run, punches out 10. For Sandy, he has looked much better of late, giving up one run or fewer, now three out of his last four starts. So, very refreshing there, and that gets the Miami Marlins to the windows. They've actually been very rough in his starts. They have only won nine out of his 24 starts thus far this season, so... Good for the Miami Marlins, and this was good for the Minnesota Twins being able to beat up on the Philadelphia Phillies. 8-1 to one, the final. The Phillies, been a little bit of a hot and cold team as far this season as for Minnesota. They were able to get quite a few home runs in this one as Tyma Walker allows one to Joey Gallo. His 19th home run season, he would go deep a little bit later off of Yenier Marte of the Marte Parte as well. For his 20th home run season, Marte would... Give up that home run in one and two-thirds innings as Simon Walker gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Not great, but not, like, terrible or anything like that. Matt Strom, Jeff Hoffman, they both give a scoreless inning, but Gregory Soto, he allows a home run, four runs in total in a third of an inning as he allowed a home run to Carlos Correa, 15th home run season, and Pablo Lopez, very good start. He has been doing for some positivity all season long. Six scoreless innings, killed Theobar, Jordan Balazovich, both had a scoreless inning in Griffin Jackson. He does get Jacks up, giving up a run in an inning against a Philly team that went 0 of 10 with men in scoring position. The Tampa Bay Race, they now have back-to-back days with a walk-off winner. They are able to get the job done 6 of 5 against the Cleveland Guardians. Guardians, by the way, have been halfway decent team when they've been getting a run and a half on the run line. But that said, it has been a little bit of a less than savory situation for getting these outright wins. By the way, Cleveland, 36-19 and on the run line when getting a run and a half. But Kevin Williams, great start. Gives up one run over the course of five innings. Punches out 10. Did allow a solo home run. Going deep, Luke Rayleigh, 16th home run season and then a very reliable bullpen was not so much on this eight. Anya de Los Santos is scoreless inning, but Eli Morgan, Trevor Steven, they both allow a run in their inning of work in Emmanuel Class A in the ninth inning. There were some, shall we say, infield singles and things like that that contributed, but three runs given up in two-thirds of an inning. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, they had to go with a poo-poo blighter of pitchers in this one. Kevin Kelly got a pair of outside the bullpen scoreless. Sean Armstrong, the opener, goes two scoreless innings, and then Erasmo Ramirez, Goes three in the third innings. He allowed three runs along the way before he had Josh Fleming come in for the final three innings. He gives up two runs, and just getting Josh Fleming back in the fold, that is very helpful for this team. But, man, for the Tampa Bay Rays, being able to build some upward momentum, that is big for them as they went 5-12 of 12 with men in scoring position, getting back to the offensive ways of old. The Houston Astros have really been able to put back to ball recently, and they completely take down the LA Angels. 11-3 to 3 the final for the Halos. 
You did have home run number two of the season for Andrew Vasquez in the ninth inning, but too little too late as Friesen, J.P. France turns another nice start. Two runs surrendered over the course of seven innings. Brian Abreu, he was able to go for a scoreless inning, and then Hector Neris does allow a home run in his inning of work going deep. You had Mr. Velasquez get that home run, but for Tyler Anderson, just completely destroyed in this one. Four and two-thirds innings, allowing seven runs, all of which were earned, including a home run. Going deep for the Houston Astros, Mr. Kyle Tucker, 22nd home run season. From there, the bullpen didn't fare much better. Aime Badia gives up four runs in an inning. Dominic Leon gets it out of the bullpen, and Rinaldo Lopez and Aaron Loop, they're both able to supply a squirrel setting, but not necessarily the world's greatest of situations there, as it does feel like the Astros starting to build a little bit of upward momentum. There has been one team that has actually been able to cover the run line at north of 51% thus far this season as a favorite. That would be the Texas Rangers. They found themselves in the role of a very slight underdog on Saturday, but they get the job done by kind of 9-3 as Andrew Heaney. He was not long for this game. He gives up one run in one of the third innings, has to leave due to injury, and then from there, you had one run surrendered in two and two-thirds innings by their long guy in Grant Anderson. You were able to get three scoreless innings out of Chris Grant and Anderson to allow a home run along the way, but Josh Shaboris was able to pitch a scoreless inning, and then you did have Brock Burke give up a home run in the ninth inning to Elioy Ramos for his first home run season. Michael Conforto went deep a little bit earlier in the game, his 14th of the campaign off of Anderson, but for Alex Cobb, who entered in this game with a sub-175 home ERA, got crushed. Six runs surrendered in four and a third innings, including a home run going deep for Texas. Corey Seager, 20th home run season. From there, Alex Wood, who's been utilized as a super long guy for this team. He goes four innings, giving up three runs before Jacob Junis gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen and for the Giants. One of 12 with men in scoring position, so that was a little bit less than ideal. This was also less than ideal. You had... No runs scored by the Seattle Mariners. They lose 1-0 in 10 innings. Talk about just completely squandering a really good effort from George Kirby. George Kirby goes nine scoreless innings, allowed three hits along the way, no walks, and then Andres Munoz gives up the unearned run that starts on second base in the 10th inning for the Seattle Mariners. 0 of 10 with men in scoring position. And for Baltimore, good start out of Cole Irvin. Five scoreless innings. From there, Mike Bauman, Yanir Cano, they both give you a squirrel setting. Jacob Webbs, you know, Perez, they come back for a squirrel setting. And then Felix Batista shook off the, shall we say, issues that he had against Houston. Two squirrel settings in the ninth and 10th inning in Baltimore, by the way, as a underdog getting a run and half on the run line. They're now 41-16. and 16. And the Becker's record of any team has been an underdog at least 25 times thus far this season. A team that's embraced the underdog role whenever they've been in it. They were not in it on Saturday, but when they've been an underdog, they've been in solid. That'd be the St. Louis Cardinals. They were able to get the win by kind of 5-4. to four. Steven Matz, two runs surrendered in six innings. He has posted up merely a two ERA since the beginning of the month of June. Oh, by the way, he did allow a home run to Nelson Velasquez, his fifth home run season. From there, things got a little bit testy. Drew Verhagen, a squirrel setting, but Giovanni Gallegos gives up a run in a third of an inning. Giorgio Romero had to come in for a five-out save, a lot of run along the way, but the St. Louis Cardinals were able to strand a few men on base. Tommy Edmond was the main form of offense. A pair of home runs from him goes deep off of Cole Reagans for his ninth home run season, and then Taylor Hearn, his tenth for Reagans. 
Rough start for him. He had a lot of three runs in his first three starts with the Kansas City Royals. Gives up four runs of five innings here, but did just enough to cash our DK Network right up pick of the under. That brings this run down. I believe now 17 and 6 in my last 23. So we're going to look to say out there, Taylor Earn from there gives up a solo run in one and a third innings. But you had James MacArthur and his. North of 16 ERA, give you a scoreless setting. Don Coleman, pair of outs out of the bullpen, and Carlos Hernandez was able to lend a scoreless setting as well. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The Arizona Diamondbacks, who have lost nine straight games, they get a 3-0 win over the San Diego Padres, but the Padres nothing doing on offense. Zach Gallon was masterful, six scoreless settings. Miguel Castro, Kevin Ginkle, Paul Sewell from there, all lend a scoreless setting. Meanwhile, you had Christian Walker go deep off of Rich Hill, his 24th home run season for Hill. He last just three and a third innings, giving up three runs. Pedro Avila, four and two thirds innings, scoreless and super long relief. Maybe they should just be giving him the start instead, but that's a, another under for the years and the Diamondbacks at home, and that is a nice W. The LA Dodgers, they were able to hold down the Colorado Rockies once again. Four to one, the LA Dodgers, they're able to get the win as for the Dodgers. They have played, I believe, 11 one-run wins out of their 70 wins as far this season. Tony Gonsolin was very solid, giving up a solo home run over the course of six innings. Ezekiel Tovar gets that home run his 12th of the campaign. And Peter Lambert gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Going up against the Dodgers on the road, honestly not terrible. Will Smith got jiggy with it off of him. 15th home run season, James Altman is 14th. And then Ahmed Rosario, he gets home run number six of the campaign. That comes off of Matt Cook, who allows a solo home run in his inning of work before Brent Suter. Sable give you a scoreless setting in. For the Dodgers, Ryan Brazier, Bruce Gratterall, and Evan Phillips. They were all able to turn scoreless innings. And then out there in Washington, D.C., we saw perhaps the most brain-dead play of the season. The Washington Nationals went by kind of 3-2, to two, but really what I'm referring to is Luis Medina in the second inning. As a comebacker, that's it right to him, bounce once. He then runs to first base, but fails to flip the ball or touch the bag. And the Washington Nationals from there were trying to get something generated. I think that that actually resulted in a run as well. And if that doesn't happen, the Oakland A's probably win the game. Just absolutely terrible from Luis Medina. He goes four innings, allowing that one run. From there, you did have a uh, duo of Francisco Perez along with Austin Pruitt provide a combined two scoreless innings. Kirby Seen, a scoreless inning from there. And then Ana Felipe gives up a run in his inning of work. And Lucas Ursedge, he allows a walk-off home run going deep. For the Washington Nationals, Kibe Ruiz, 14th home run season as Jake Irvin. A lot of pair of home runs in six and two-thirds innings. Brett Rooker, 19th home run season. J.J. Blade is 10th from there. Jose Ferrar, frauds out the bullpen squirrels. And then Kyle Finnegan, he was able to turn a squirrel setting to be able to get that one to the window. And if you're taking a look at some of the trends that we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, we have been seeing quite a few unders recently. Overall for the season, the unders sitting at 51.1%, 864 unders to 826 overs with plenty of pushes along the way. I believe that we are up to 69 pushes thus far this season. Meanwhile, favorites, they're hanging at about 58.2%, 1,016 and 731 straight up. Meanwhile, among these favorites, we have seen now 254 fail to cover the run line. If you're taking a look at the last seven days in Major League Baseball, that has been pretty rampant. Favorites are 54 and 40 straight up, but we have seen 16 of those favorites that went outright be unable to cover the run line. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at totals over the last seven days, 52 unders, 41 overs to go along with two pushes. So a 56% rate through the under and over the last 30 days, that rate on unders, 53.7%. 211 unders, 182 overs with a few pushes along the way. Favorites in this time span, hitting at 57.2% on the money line, 230 and 172. But 
66 different favorites that have won outright have been unable to cover the run line. So that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we all got on Saturday. Now let's take a look at the NL Central. Let's take a look at the hot streak of the Chicago Cubs as Matt Minnis, who does great work over at Champions Round, is going to be joining me to discuss all that next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family of Icons. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. 
breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa family of podcasts. It is great to be joined by our guest as Matt Minnis. He does a tremendous job over at Champions Round. And for those that know him, they know that he does a tremendous job of following all teams out there in the Chicagoland area. Certainly, it has been a wild time in the NL Central, especially with the Chicago Cubs. He's been doing a great job of being able to gauge it all. I believe that he live streams darn near all of these games over there on his TikTok slash his now X feed, which that's very strange to say. <laughs> M Bone HD all together. That's pretty much his handle on everything, whether that be YouTube, TikTok, X, whatever they're coming up with next, Y, what have you. And Matt, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Greg. And I'm really looking forward to this. And you caught me at the perfect time because all I want to do, I feel like all I'm talking about is the Cubs and what they're doing right now. So I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, absolutely. And I believe that you're actually in attendance for game one of that series between they and the Toronto Blue Jays. They got the job done there. It was a hairy one on Saturday, but they got the job done in that one again. And this has been just such an interesting team to gauge because three, four weeks ago, many people thought that the Cubs were going to be sellers. That's what it sounded like from ownership. It felt like that little, little bit of a fire underneath this team. And how much do you think it was? Because we were hearing those rumblings of this team perhaps being sellers at the deadline. Perhaps Cody Bellinger was going to be one of those guys going back to like the Dodgers or something like that. How much do you think that that might have maybe just gave this team a little bit of added motivation for this current run that they're on? I think it definitely helped. Now, I watched this team last year, right? And I tried to will myself saying, oh, we can make a wild card team. But since the beginning of the season, this is a talented baseball team. And, you know, they start off the year really well. They're like 14 and seven. Then they had a big slide and they were kind of playing about 500 ball, but we're still like seven, eight games under 500. And then Cody Bellinger pretty much put this entire team on his back and still is to this day, as I'm you know, recording this, he had a huge double in the ninth that led to him scoring the go-ahead run. I, I saw an interview with Dansby Swanson. They're talking to Dansby about if he heard the rumbles and what he wanted. And he was like, yeah, obviously we heard it, but you know, this team is so focused on winning right now. And I think they're almost kind of in that play, not playoff mode, but where they know the season. The season's been on the line since July 1st. So they've had to play, you know, every game, every series matters. And at what point, at one point in time, we were sitting, what, nine and a half, ten games back of Milwaukee. Now we're just two games back or right there in the wild card as well. I've been standing, I've been watching the standings. I can, I've been watching the games, the Brewers games, the Reds games, you know, the, the Giants, all these teams that we're fighting for with watching every night since July 1st. And to see to see the Cubs where they're at now, it, it really, really has been special. Yeah, it certainly has been. And with the Chicago Cubs, you mentioned it. The big key for this team, in my opinion, has been Cody Bellinger because what really stands out to me with this Cubs run is that prior to this Cubs run, the one constant that this team had was Marcus Stroman. Night in, night out, he was giving the team really good starts. They have done this with Marcus Stroman when he started being absolutely awful over the last month, and now he's currently on the injured list. And it's really been Cody Bellinger returning to, dare I say, MVP levels that has really been the spearhead. (laughs) Yep, absolutely, because, I mean, this guy was terrible the last two years, and this year he's had a complete renaissance, and last month, month and a half, he's been, in my opinion, the best hitter in the entire National League. Maybe Matt Olson gives a little, gets a little <laughs> bit of credit as well for all the home runs he's belting out with the Braves as well. Yeah, the two things, the first thing I want to touch on is the slugging. This team, since the All-Star break, has started hitting home runs, and it's really shown. They've done a really good job of getting on base. 
And suddenly, I don't know where the power switch, even like Dansby Swanson, like the last like week and a half, he's got like five or six home runs. You know, Cody Bellinger has been fantastic. The offense has been great. But when it comes down to it, if we can't, I'm not asking to see Marcus Stroman, you know, with a 230, 220 ERA like he was at one point. But if Marcus Stroman does not return to form, you know, our, our starting rotation is already shaky with Drew Smiley's been bad. And, you know, Javier Assad has had to step in and he's been great. But we need Marcus Stroman because down the line, you know, three starters, two stars that you can trust on is not going to cut it. You need at least, you know, three or four guys minimum. I agree with you. And with the Cubs, it has been very nice to see those starts from Javier Assad because he was a really good long guy that they've thrown now in the rotation. Seven scoreless innings on Friday. That was certainly a big boost for them. As joining me on the show, we've got Matt Minnis. He does a tremendous job taking a look at the game of baseball over at Champions Round and so much more. And I do think that this whole NL Central race is very interesting because we've seen all three teams in this race have their moments because we saw the Brewers early on. They had that nice run to begin the season, and they sort of just maintained. I haven't necessarily been super impressed by them. Every single time I feel like I'm out on the Milwaukee Brewers, they try to reel me back in. They're just one of those teams. And then the Cincinnati Reds, as we all recall, towards like the month of June, they became America's team. And now they've been slipping a little bit with L.A. Daily Cruz cooling down as well. And I think that we're just in for a tremendous race in general with three teams that they play a little bit of a different style. But out of these three teams, I think the most complete team right now is the Cubs. And I don't disagree with you. Like Cincinnati, I don't really understand why they didn't make a move for a starting pitcher at the deadline. You know, they ha- I always say this, like if they were in a different division, I would be a Reds fan. Like this is such a fun team to watch play. They're young. They're exciting. That has caught up to them a little bit here. Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee's always going to be Milwaukee. They, they just got uh, Woodruff back as well. So they've they got a great starting rotation. They got some good guys in, in the bullpen. I just think we can't look at the NL Central and not talk about the St. Louis Cardinals because, you know, they have to be the most disappointing team of the entire season. If you look at the starting, like the lineup, you just think to yourself, how is this team sitting 15 games back of 500 at the very bottom below Pittsburgh? Hey, I'm a Cubs fan, so I'm loving it. But I, this NL Central is wide open. We played the Braves last week, and that is a great team. I, I think my blessings every single day that the Cubs aren't in the AL East or the NL East. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And myself <laughs> being a Brewers fan, the one thing that we can agree upon is that we are not too sad to see the demise <laughs> of the St. Louis Cardinals. Because I, that team has haunted every single team in the NL Central. So I'm right there with you. And what has become interesting about this race as well is something that I talk about on the show when it comes to like betting futures, things like that is, I was taking a look at this division. I was thinking for the longest time, yep, whoever wins the NL Central, that's the only team that's going to be making the playoffs. All of a sudden, with the way that these teams have been able to get hot, all three of these teams are very alive in the wild card as well because of the steps back that we've seen with the Arizona Diamondbacks, the San Francisco Giants. They've been a little bit all over the place as well. And what I think has really been interesting about this NL Central race is no longer is it the division or bust for these teams to be able to make the playoffs. Obviously, they want to win the division. No fans are butts about that. But if, say, the Cubs, they're able to continue this run, but they finish a game back of the Brewers. Say the Reds finish a game or two back of the Cubs, something like that. These teams are now very alive for a wild card spot. Yeah, and I think going into the year, two teams that I thought for sure, like you look at the NL West, you're like, okay, well, either the Dodgers or Padres will probably win it. So one of those teams will go to the wild card. And then, 
you know, either the Braves or Mets, right? And the Mets and the Padres, the Mets season's over. I keep waiting for the Padres to turn around and they just continue to lose games. But Arizona's downfall, like the whole thing that's happened there, they were on pace for like 111 wins at one point. Now they've lost, I think, nine straight games. I could be wrong on that. Something around there. I look at that wild card and I think to myself, like one of these NL Central teams is going to get in there. They're going to slide in there. And I trust. I want to win the division. I want. I want a home game. I don't want to have to deal with the wild card and all that. But it's also nice knowing, worst case scenario, you can fall back on the wild card. Oh, absolutely! And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, one and nine in their last ten oh, games going into gosh. the night on Sunday or on Saturday. Yeah, it's been rough to say the least for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are now sub five hundred as we record this podcast. So it has been a big downfall as Matt Minnis, who does tremendous work over at Champions Round is joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And right now I know that the Cubs, they've got a big series with the Blue Jays, as we were alluding to. And if you take a look at the Sunday matchup, going for the Chicago Cubs, it is going to be Jamison Tyon going up against Hunjin Ryu, who's going to be making just the third start of the year for the Toronto Blue Jays. And how much of this run do you think it has been that Jamison Tyon has finally been able to get that, as I like to call it, positive progression going for him? Because I've looked at Jamison Tyon this year. He had that run where... He had given up three-plus runs in 10 out of 11 starts, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, James Zatayan hasn't been the world's greatest pitcher, but he had gotten just really unlucky in that stretch. But ever since he has been able to get things turned around a little bit, this has been a nice renaissance for the Cubs, and I feel like part of the Cubs' resurgence as well has been the resurgence of James Zatayan as well because Cubs have now won each out of his last six starts. Yeah, and it all starts back to that New York series that when he went back to the Yankees, played, we played the Yankees, his former team, it was right before the All-Star break, and he had a really, really good outing. And he's been the second-best pitcher behind Justin Steele for you know over a month now. And the Cubs have needed that, especially with the, the downfall, I like to call, of Drew Smiley. You know, they pulled him out. Now Drew Smiley's not even really pitching much. He's switching between the bullpen and the, and the rotation. But Tyon has been everything for this team and something that we waited for. I think a lot of times when you give players big money – and they don't perform, it's easy to jump like on the ship of, oh, why did we pay him? You know, screw this guy or whatever you want to say. And Cubs fans were all there. We were waiting for Jamison Tyon. It wasn't there. He'd had early injury struggles as well that put him on the IL. But he's been fantastic in everything this Cubs team has needed. Oh, I agree with you. And what I think has been interesting as well is it feels like Jamison Tyon is sort of a microcosm for what we've seen for the Cubs in general because you mentioned that start they had in early July against the Yankees that did feel like a little bit of a turning point for the Cubs. And prior to that, the Cubs, as they have for pretty much the entirety of this season, they've had the best run differential in the National League Central. It just felt like those one-run games, they were sort of going against them. There's always those teams that they benefit from good variants. Like I look at the Miami Marlins, the way that they have won one-run games. My goodness, I am waiting for that to run out because it has been absolutely tremendous. I believe they are now 26-10 and 10 in one-run games. That's just not sustainable. But how much do you look at that and you think that maybe the Cubs, they were just getting some bad bounces going their way towards the beginning part of the season. And as it typically does in baseball, it's sort of been the reverse here recently because I did think that the Cubs were going to turn around. I didn't know it was going to be to this extent, but it felt like they were one of the most unlucky teams in baseball towards the beginning part of the season. Ty, being one of the most unlucky pitchers in baseball, and that has turned around since. 
Yeah, and for a long time, I'd refer to the Cubs as like the run differential champs in the NL Central <laughs> because like you said, you know, you look at right now and I think the Cubs have like the third best run differential only behind the Dodgers and uh, the Braves in all the National League. You know, they've been a positive run differential team for most of the season and it hasn't really, when you look at that and you look at the record, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, I will say, you know, I love David Ross, the player. He has some very, very questionable manual decisions, especially early in the season, putting players in there. We didn't really have a closer for a while, and he tried different guys. Thankfully, we found Ausley, who's been our saving grace. But the Cubs have played competitive. But, you know, most of the time when we were losing, it was we'd lose by a run or two, or, you know, the Cubs would win by a run or two. Very close games. And then we'd have, you know, we had that series in Cincinnati where we won like 20 to 4, 20 to 5, or 20, whatever the score was, where we really bolstered that run differential. But, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't look at that run differential more than I probably should. And I do take a look at that as well, because from a betting perspective, typically you're going to be like, man, this team is sub 500, but they've got a positive run differential. They should be able to find a little bit of value moving forward. And I feel like many people have been doing that on the Padres this year. And that's one of those cases where I just don't know if that's yeah. Good grief, that has been really sad to take a look at, but I was sort of thinking that way with Cubs, and how much was it that they needed to figure out that bullpen? Because you bring back, you bring up Adbear Alsley, and he's been one of the more unsung heroes of this Cubs team. Like Michael Fulmer, for instance, he had a terrible start to the season. I wouldn't say that he's been amazing recently, but he's been able to do a much better job. Julian Merriweather had a terrible start to the year as well. He really picked it up after a bad First, I would call it about 60 or so days of the season. And that's been a big reason why as well. I think the Cubs have been able to have this big turnaround. Yeah, and it's funny because when you look at it, Keegan Thompson and Brandon Hughes, two relievers that I thought we were going to rely on all season long. You know, Keegan was terrible. And then they finally signed him to AAA. He's still been in AAA. And then Hughes has dealt with injury stuff. And I was sitting there and I want to say like April or June, I was looking at this bullpen. Like Mark Leiter was a starter for us last year that just was not very good. I, his turnaround has been remarkable. Merriweather, I think a second or third outing, I was calling for him to be sent down to AAA. Michael Fulmer, you know, you put him in any type of clutch situation. He blew multiple games against the Dodgers. Like, it really, the turnaround of this bullpen, now I still wanted another arm at the deadline. We got Jose Quas, and he's been really, really good. We don't really have the depth uh, that I was kind of looking for when it comes to a good, you know, playoff team. But guys have stepped up, and it's really, really shown, especially over the last month. And you bring up such a good point as well with Keegan Thompson, because I really liked him last year as well. His fall-off was just bad. Hopefully he can be able to find it a little bit more and can be able to provide this team something, whether that be late in 2023 or 2024 and beyond, because I think that he's got a lot of upside, but just did not have it this year. As we're being joined by Matt Minnis, he does great work over at Champions Round, and he's joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And just with regards to the NL Central as a whole, because I know we've talked mostly about the Cubs, what are you taking a look at moving forward with regards to this division? Because I do think that it is interesting, some of the matchups that we do have for Sunday, like the Brewers should be able to take it to the Chicago White Sox. I recognize that Dylan Cease is on the mound, but it's a White Sox team that, as we both know, that it's been a sinking ship to say the least. If the Reds lose two to the Pittsburgh Pirates, we certainly have some issues there. But I do think that moving forward, scheduling is going to be very big for these teams. And I know that with the Cubs playing this series against the Toronto Blue Jays, they clear out a lot of those very difficult games 
right away along with that series against the Braves last weekend. I think that that sets up as well moving forward for them very favorably. Yeah, and it's been frustrating because we played the Braves one, two of three, which I was super happy about. And then we go out and lose two of three versus the Mets. And that's kind of the story of this team. They've played up to their competition and played down at times. A really tough stretch, but it's about to get easy because we have the White Sox and then we have the Royals, even though the Royals have been hot. And then I think we have the Tigers after that. I'm kind of at a point right now where... I mainly really check on Milwaukee and Cincinnati. Now, Milwaukee, did you say you're a Brewers fan? I am. I have born okay. in the state of Wisconsin. Okay. So, like, Milwaukee's one of those teams where I think when I watch them play, I'm like, oh, man, like, okay, like, the right, like last night, the White Sox are going to win this game. Oh, here comes the Brewers. They're going to end up finding a way to win. <laughs> you know, that national series uh, where they walked it off, I was really happy about that. I, I'm, I'm a huge scoreboard watcher. I'm just being honest with you. I'm one of those guys <laughs> that's constantly turning on to whatever the NL Central game is, praying that other team loses. But the Cubs just need to take care of business. Tomorrow's going to be a tough game. But after that, they just got to take care of business over the next next 10 or 14 days and I think we have a series against Milwaukee at some point in the near future and that's just going to be massive yep that is going to be coming up in late August and I do think that that is going to be a huge series as well taking a look forward and I do think that we've got a lot of good playoff races out there as well and we've hit so much on the NL Central how much are you taking a look at some of these other races as well because I do think that the AL West has themselves a very good race and I mean we are taking a look at the series between the Cubs and the Blue Jays as well that AL wild card, I think, has gotten so interesting with the Seattle Mariners and what they've been able to do recently as well. Yeah, the Seattle Mariners seems like they just came out of nowhere here. I think they've won eight straight games now. I mean, you know, I love the Texas-Houston because it's like, all right, Texas is going to go out Scherzer. Houston's going to match and go get Verlander. And people ask me the question all the time in stream. And I always say, you know what, man, I'm not going against Houston. It's kind of how I feel about the Chiefs, how I felt about Golden State, even though it didn't happen last year. Like, Houston just finds a way to win. They've also been injured all year long. You know, they finally got uh, Jordan back and, you know, Altuve's missed a bunch of time. I love, like, the AL is so stacked. There's so much talent over there. And I, I keep waiting for Baltimore, you know, I think it was 70, 80 games in. I was like, okay, Baltimore's probably going to fall off at some point here, but it's just not happening. And this young, fun team just continues to win. AL East, you look at the fact that the New York Yankees are 60 and 57, and they're at the bottom. As a Cubs fan, I thank my blessings that I'm not playing the AL East. Yeah, and if they were in the AL Central, they'd be right there in the thick of things because Mm -hmm. there's teams like the Kansas City Royals and the Detroit Tigers in that division as well, so... And has been absolutely sacked in the Tampa Bay race. Them being able to get back-to-back walk-offs. We'll see if that's able to propel them moving forward. And Matt, you were able to propel this podcast moving forward as well. It was great to be able to have you aboard. And I know that you're doing a great job taking a look at the game of baseball. As you alluded to a little bit earlier as well. You are taking a look at the upcoming NFL season as well. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how they're able to follow your work on social media and other platforms. Well, first off, Greg, thank you so much for having me. All my social media, it's really easy. All my social medias are just MboneHD. So if you guys want to check me out over there, real simple, MboneHD. Thank you again so much for having me. And, you know, best of luck to your brewers and, and my Cubs. And we'll see how things turn out here. Absolutely. And in a perfect world, both of these teams make the playoffs in some form or capacity, and that makes everyone very happy and able to cash some tickets on that. And Matt, I know that he's doing a tremendous job looking at the game of baseball, these races, and getting set for what is going to be a tremendous NFL season as well. Big thanks to Matt for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! 
And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to Matt Menace for joining me in the last segment. It is going to be a very interesting race out there in the NL Central where, hey, we might be seeing multiple teams from the NL Central being able to make the playoffs. He's done a great job taking a look at the Chicago Cubs and really the entire game of baseball all season long. And it was great to be able to get his insights on the podcast today. A big thanks to Matt for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. We are going to be going in last segmentation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. The lone exception is when we get to the doubleheader, which is going to be right up top with the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Because the Second game of this doubleheader was just added to the bottom of the board because, well, the board was already set. We did not know we were going to get a doubleheader until Saturday night. That is a game at the bottom, and I'll just do both of those together, and that's how we will lead this thing off. 951 and 52 on the betting board is the scheduled game between the Cincinnati Reds, and yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and onto the road against the Pittsburgh Pirates with Mitch Keller going for the Buccos and Luke Weaver going for the Cincinnati Reds. With the Pirates, they're between minus 140 to minus 155 favorites. Plus 120 to plus 130, your number on the Reds. Nine is the total, over is minus 120, the under is even. Game two is a little bit TBD. I'll dive into that game in a minute, as I expect a lot of what we were supposed to get on Saturday. But we'll look at this Weaver versus Keller game first, as this is going to be the first game of that double dip. And... With regards to this one, I felt like the Reds should be a minus 104 favorite. Is there a pitching mismatch in this one? Oh, absolutely. Luke Weaver has given up three plus runs at 11 out of his last 13 starts, but it's not like Mitch Keller is in some amazing form right now as well. With Mitch Keller, he's given up three plus runs in four out of his last five starts and six plus runs in three out of his last five. We have seen some serious regression with him. He's gotten a little bit unlucky recently. He's got a 439 ERA fielding independent, more around a 393, but he's also got a Pittsburgh Pirates team around him that they just simply can't hit, and even though Luke Weaver has his north of 6 ERA, he has not been sharp at all. He is coming off of giving up just one run in his last start, and he has given up three earned runs or fewer, and now three out of his last four starts. It feels like it's getting a little bit better, and he was getting unlucky towards the beginning part of the season. 675 ERA. Fielding independent of a 582, seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings. His big bugaboo has been giving up the deep ball, giving up 2.1 home runs per nine innings. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who's really going to be able to do that for this team? You've got Jack Swinniski, who's been able to give you 21 home runs this far this season, but Jack Swinniski has been absolutely terrible recently. He's down to a 210 batting average. If you look at the last three days, he's hitting a buck 27 and has slugged out two home runs. That is not what you need, as you've got one other guy, that would be Brian Reynolds, 
who's been able to give you north of 12 home runs as far this season. He's been able to give you 15 bombs. They're trying out guys like Andy Rodriguez, who's been hitting in that neighborhood about a 232, 240. Henry Davis is able to give you 315 on base, but you don't have a lot of thumping power with him. Five home runs and 160 or so at bats. This is just a mess of a Pirates lineup, and you got a Cincinnati Reds team that they've actually been scoring more runs per game and have a better on-base percentage on the road than they do at home, which makes no sense because they play in a hitter's haven in Cincinnati in Great American Ballpark, and you've only got one guy from north of 15 home runs at Spencer Steer, but being able to get the production that you've had out of Joey Votto from a power perspective has been good. He's been able to give you a home run every about 10.7 or so at best, giving you about a 320 on base. Will Benson has been able to about a 280 for this team. The injury to Jonathan India certainly has been prevalent for this team, so has not necessarily been too terrific, and we have seen the offense be quite a bit less effective without him, but Matt McClain has been able to give you about a 360 on base. He's able to slug out 12 home runs. The big key for the team, they just need Ellie De La Cruz to be able to get out of this funk, and I do think that he might be doing so. Multi-hit games in each out of his last two. If you take a look at the last three days for him, only about a 257 on base, and he below the middle sign of 200. So has been able to get five home runs in that time span, but him getting back to normal, I think, is big. And the Reds and Pirates bullpens, I think, are relative equals with the Reds. You've been able to have the likes of Derek Law, Alex Young, Ian Gabo being able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. And for the Pirates, top half of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA over the last 30 days, Colin Olderman has been able to do a solid job providing an ERA right around about a 340. And ever since Jose Hernandez got back to full, he's only got a 4 ERA, but it just gives the team a little bit more depth. And I do think that they're going to need it in this double dip spot. But with Mitch Keller... Currently in really, really bad form, giving up quite a bit of the deep ball. has been doing a better job at home rather than on the road. 371 home ERA compared to a 5 ERA on the road. But you actually got someone in Luke Weaver that's got a lower road ERA. So I actually set the Reds because I just like the whole of this team a little bit more, a bit better as a minus 104 favorite. So looking at the Reds, getting that plus number, set my total at 9.3. So looking at the over. And then when it comes to game two, I expect this to be Brandon Williamson. This is not confirmed, but... I just don't know who else the Reds would start in this spot. And he is going to be going up against Andre Jackson. That is confirmed. And when you see Andre Jackson going for the Pittsburgh Pirates, that essentially means bullpen game for them as he was a long reliever with the LA Dodgers. I think that he's going to throw like three, maybe four innings here. And then that'll give way to a poo-poo platter of pitchers. I think that Thomas Hatch is at the point where he might be able to lend a few innings as he threw like four innings a few days ago as well. And when this was listed, Williamson versus Jackson on the board yesterday, it was a relative pick with a total of nine and a half. And if we get that once again, I set my total at a 9.6. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over. And with Williamson set them as a minus 133 favorite. With Brandon Williamson, I recognize that he hasn't been like some amazing pitcher. And honestly, has probably been a little bit lucky thus far this season with Williamson. He's supposed to get up in the area of a 454. The fielding independent, that is more in the neighborhood of a 5 as been getting seven and a half strikeouts to three and a half walks per nine innings. Has been allowing right in the neighborhood about 1.5 home runs per nine innings. And I don't think he's necessarily gotten a whole heck of a lot better recently, but I do think that the Reds have found ways to utilize him to where he doesn't get destroyed. And that has been a nice thing because if you take a look at what he's been able to do ever since, we're going to call it June 13th. That was his start against the Kansas City Royals. He has made 10 starts and he has given up three earned runs or fewer in all but one of those starts. So he's been relatively effective. 407 ERA 
in this time span, giving up about 1.3 home runs per nine innings. So if you do get what we were supposed to get in Jackson versus Williamson and comparable numbers, willing to lay up to a minus 132 with the Reds and would be looking at that nine and a half over as well. That would be for 979.980 on the betting board. We shall see if the Reds stick with Williamson or not. 953-954 on the betting board. It is the Atlanta Braves. They throw their facing off against the New York Metropolitans. As Kodai Singa goes for the Mets and Yoni Joninos is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. And the Braves are anywhere between minus 117 to minus 130 favorites. Between plus 108 and plus 110 is your number on the Metropolitans. Nine and a half is the total. Unders between minus 110 to a minus 120. The overs anywhere between even a minus 110. And I said the Braves at a minus 131. This Mets team is just a complete stinking disaster right now. I will say for Kodai Senga, if he can keep the walks down, that'll be able to keep this team in it because he's you know, surrounded by a bullpen that is currently in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to ERA. We saw unsavory it got in game number one where they gave up those 21 runs. Just absolutely brutal. And you just don't have much outside of Brooks Raley with regards to this bullpen. You got Tyson Miller who can perhaps be used as a little bit of a long guy, but... I just take a look at the circumstance, and you got Phil Bickford, Reed Garrett in the bullpen. Grant Hartwig is an above-average arm for the team right now. Not good, but Kodai Senga, what he has been good at is pitching at home. 245 home ERA compared to a 414 ERA on the road once again. Needs to keep those walks down. He's giving up north of 4.3 walks per nine innings, but he's been able to get darn near 11 strikeouts per nine innings. He's been able to mow them down, and for Yoni Chirinos, he's been very much a pitch-to-contact guy. To say the least, as he is getting fewer than six and a half strikeouts per nine innings thus far this season, does a pretty solid job with regards to his command. Walks per nine rate that's hovering in the neighborhood about 2.8 to go with his 5.2 strikeouts per nine innings. Big reason why he's got a 5.60 fielding independent. And for the Mets, it has been an all over the place lineup since the trade deadline because they still do have some boom power out there. You've got a tree of guys. And be able to give you north of 20 home runs as far this season. Both of the Franciscos. Francisco Lindor, Francisco Alvarez. 21 plus home runs out of both of those guys. With Lindor, 333 on base. Alvarez, just a 295 on base. And then Pete Alonso, 35 home runs. His on base percentage has really plummeted since the All Star break, but he's done a good job being able to supply the deep ball. And then you got Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, both hitting in that pocket about a 255 with Nimmo, supplying 15 home runs. But Daniel Vogelback has not been able to supply too much this year. Starling Marte was supposed to be able to get on base, has not done a lot of that, and they're trotting out there some younger guys as well. And then for the Atlanta Braves, Matt Olson entered into game two of that doubleheader yesterday with 42 home runs. They have got four separate guys with at least 26 bombs, with Ronald Cunha Jr. having 26 home runs, hitting for a 425 on base with north of 50 stolen bases. It's just remarkable what he's doing. Like, Eddie Rosario is right now sixth in the team win home runs, and going into game two of that doubleheader, he had 16 bombs. I mean, it's just not fair. This is a completely stacked Braves team that entered into Game 2 of the doubleheader yesterday. Number 2 in the National League with regards to bullpen ERA. After a terrible start to the year, A.J. Minter has been able to pick it up. You've been able to get some good innings out of the likes of Michael Tonkin, Kirby Yates, a sub-3-5 ERA there. Rossi Iglesias has really been able to clean things up as well. So, even though Kodai Senga is he the better starter than Yoni Chirinos? Yes, this is just such a good Braves lineup that I think is going to be able to get to him. And a bullpen for the Mets that... Quite honestly, is awful. I set the Braves at a minus 131. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line. So I might tell at a 9.4. Even a 9.5, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the under. 
Mets have been a bottom six team with regards to their offense post all-star break, and this is a little bit more of a pitcher's ballpark. So looking at the under to go along with the Braves on the money line, 955-956 on the bank board, the LA Dodgers, they play us to the Colorado Rockies. Kyle Freeland goes for the Rocks, and Julio Arias is on the bump for the Dodgers. The Dodgers are between minus 350 to minus 360 favorites, and between plus 285 and plus 305 is your number on Colorado, and Tadon's game, it is 9. The under is minus 115 to a minus 120. The over is any between even a minus 105. I'm willing to take the Colorado Rockies in this spot. I needed at least a plus 275 to be able to do so. This is just a little bit of a point of no return. Julio Rios has been a little bit over the place this year now. Recognize that he has been a whole heck of a lot better at home than he has been on the road, which is actually a little bit of a reversal of what we've seen the past few seasons for him because last two years prior to this year, Leo Reyes was really stacking up a lot of his wins actually on the road rather than at home. But 222 home ERA compared to a 680 ERA on the road. You take a look at the fielding independent overall from 445 compared to his 439 ERA. He's given up about a home run and a half per nine innings. Getting those normal about eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings. And for Kyle Friedland, swinging and miss stuff has not been there for him this year. 5.7 strikeouts per nine innings. But he's been able to do a better job on the road than he has at home. And he's a National League leader in losses with with 12, which that's not great considering he spent a little bit of time on the injured list and does have a 524 road ERA compared to home ERA of about a 488. The home runs per nine rate of a 1.7 is less than terrific, but for the Colorado Rockies, the bullpen has been a little bit better ever since they got back in the full Brent Suter. He, along with someone like a Tyler Kinley, Matt Cook, these guys have been able to do a solid job. They're providing a sub-3-5 ERA. Daniel Bard has went down the toilet bowl a little bit. And the Dodger acquisition of Justin Brule went up against his old team a few days ago and completely trash-canned the game. But you know what? All in all, you've been able to get a little bit of production out of this Rockies bullpen. And for the Dodgers, last 35 days, this has been a top-six team with regards to bullpen ERA ever since you brought in some of the additions that they have. Ryan Brazier along with Joe Kelly. These guys have been good in Dodger Blue being able to supply a sub-2 ERA. And then you've got Caleb Ferguson, Evan Phillips, Broussard Gratterall providing a sub-3 ERA as well. So do like what I'm seeing there. Obviously, when it comes to this Dodgers bunch, you've got such a fearsome lineup. Mookie Betts, 31 home runs, north of a 375 on base with the Dodgers. They've also got such good plate discipline. They're number one in the league with regards to walks on a per at-bat and a per-game basis. They have been dealing with an injury to J.D. Martinez, so that, so that does take a little bit of firepower out of the fold. Betts got a little bit of a day off yesterday. I think they should be back in the fold for this one for Freeman. He just continues it, hitting about a 345 going into yesterday. It's been tremendous. And then even the guys that come in, Rosario, James Altman, they've done a nice job moving the line as well. And for the Colorado Rockies, you do have young guys that are fighting art. Ezekiel Tovar, Nolan Jones, pair of guys with 11 home runs, with Jones, Elias Diaz, or even the neighbor about a 265 to a 275. You need a little bit out of someone like an Elias Montero, but Harold Castro, not a lot of pop. Able move line, Ryan McMahon, 19 home runs. I do think that the Colorado Rockies should be able to get to Julio Rios a little bit in this spot. I do think that Kyle Freeland, someone who prior to this year has actually been a little bit of a better road pitcher rather than a home pitcher because he was coming off the injury list. You could tell that he was a little bit rusty. He's going to be able to show a little bit of better form in this spot. As we know, Colorado Rockies, fewest runs per game of any team in the National League with regards to their road games. I'm going to be willing to ride with them just getting a plus $3 number I think is a point of no return. 
in this ordeal. Did set my total at an 8.8. Looking at the under. Ain't going to be taking the whopper of a number with the Colorado Rockies. 9.57, 9.58 on the bank for the San Diego Padres. And throw it face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Brandon Fott goes for Arizona. Seth Lugo is on the bump for the Padres. Padres between minus 135 to minus 142 favorites. Anything between plus 120 and plus 128 is your number on Arizona. 9 to 9.5 is the total. On the 9, over is minus 120. The under is even on the 9.5. Under is minus 115. And that over is even. And with the uh, San Diego Padres, Seth at a minus 142 on the money line. If you're looking at the run line, you're getting just a plus 110. I would have needed more like a plus 120. So I'm going to be taking a look. Add the Padres just on a little bit of a chalkier money line, but also going to be taking a look at this little over as I set my total at a 9.6 and recognize that Brandon Fott has been a little bit better recently, but I just have still such a tough time buying in on him. He had that tremendous start against the San Francisco Giants, but the Giants have not been able to get anything going recently and still for the year. Fought 0-6 record with a 7-16 ERA. His home runs per nine rate is hovering right in the neighborhood about 2.6 to 2.7. That is very much less than savory. I figured that there was nowhere to go but up with regards to this, but I do think that he's going to continue to have his issues. You take a look at what Fod has been able to do in Arizona thus far this season, and it's an 8.65 with regards to his ERA compared to a 5.48 on the road, giving up six home runs at 26 innings. His walks per nine rate, not too bad, right in the neighborhood, about 2.6, and he's been able to get a little bit of swings and misses, but he goes up against the San Diego Padres team that they have better on the road than they do at home. That's just a byproduct of playing your home games at Petco Park. Juan Soto, since the All-Star break, has been able to give you, I believe now, 10 home runs for 15 on base overall this season. Fernando Tatis Jr., 19 bombs. He's been in a little bit of funk along with Manny Machado, sitting in the pocket about a 250, 21 home runs as far this season, but the guy that has really been able to be a saving grace for the team, Hassan Kim. Hassan Kim, the last 30 days, going into yesterday, 480 on base. This guy has been absolutely tremendous. His war is on par with Ronald Acuna Jr. Biggest issue with this team, though, is the bottom of the fold. That's really the entirety of the catcher spot. Matt Carpenter, we haven't seen him in a while, but the likes of Arun Adodor, guys like that who have been in those bottom three spots have really been the killers for this team. You expected a little bit more out of Xander Bogarts as well, sitting in that pocket of about a 260 or so. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they entered into yesterday on a nine-game losing streak. Just everything has gone wrong for this team. They still have Corbin Carroll, Christian Walker being able to supply a combined 44 home runs, but Christian Walker is known for being a little bit hot and cold from time to time, and he's been having a rough go of it in this recent funk, hitting just one home run in his last 45 at-bats with about a 225 batting average. Corbin Carroll's still been able to do a nice job of being able to seal some bags, but they're another team in which the bottom of the fold, it's not holding up. Ever since we've seen Evan Longoria go on the injured list, it's been a little bit more rough for the team. Nick Ahmed, Carson Kelly... These are guys that have been less than terrific. They had to recall Buddy Kennedy and his one career home run for yesterday's game and for the Arizona Diamondbacks. What also has been a killer for this team, the bullpen. They're in the bottom eight in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. They trade for Paul Sewell, but that hasn't made too much of a difference. Kyle Nelson still is able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA along with Kevin Ginkle, but Miguel Castro 
has had his ups and downs. Scott McGill now is rocking north of a 4-5 ERA. Joe Mantiply has not been what he was last season. And for the San Diego Padres, it's been a little bit rocky for this bullpen recently, but they get back in the fold. Steven Wilson, that's able to provide them a little bit of positivity. It does feel like they're getting some good production out of Tom Cosgrove, who's able to give you sub-3 ERA. And you still have the best closer, in my opinion, in the National League in Josh Hader. So a very interesting spot. I did set the Padres at a minus 142 on the money line. Just really hard to back in Arizona Diamondback seeing that going into the series first nine games of August they had scored a grand total of 15 runs it's been less than terrific to say the least so I'm going to be looking at the Padres on the money line I do think that we are going to be getting some runs though because I do think that Brandon fought he's going to be battling but I think that it's going to be a battle that is going to be lost by him and you do have a guy in Seth Lugo as well on the flip side that has been a little bit less than terrific himself. He's coming off of getting completely tattooed as he's been able to do a nice job of not giving up a lot of walks, but this is a man that he is going to give you about eight, eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings, and he's certainly going to give up his hard contact as well. He's been giving up about 1.3 home runs per nine innings, 389 fielding and pennant, 419 ERA, but he's now given up three plus runs in three out of his last five starts, at least two in every one of them as well. So, going to be taking a look at this little over to go along with the Padres on the money line. 959, 960 on the betting board. It is the Detroit Tigers. They're on the road. They're facing off against the Boston Red Sox as Cutter Crawford goes for the Sox and Eduardo Rodriguez goes for Detroit. And Detroit is an underdog of anywhere between plus 107 to a plus 115. Anywhere between minus 123 to minus 135. Your number on Boston. Nine is the total. Overs between minus 110 to a minus 120. And the under is anywhere between even and minus 110. I set the Red Sox more around a minus 174 on the money line. I'm going to be willing to trust in them. Maybe it's just me trusting in Cutter Crawford a little bit too much, but I've loved what I've seen out of him now. Eduardo Rodriguez has been low-key one of the better pitchers in the American League this far this season. If he doesn't get hurt, I'm not saying he wins the Cy Young or anything like that, but you just never know. There was that sort of buzz around him. He's been able to get nine strikeouts at 2.2 walks per nine innings. 310 fielding independent compared to a 275 ERA since that first start coming off the injured list against the Oakland A's where you could tell that he just wasn't himself. Two runs are fear of surrender in four out of his last five, so you know, he's been in very good form. But for Cutter Crawford, I do like what he's been able to bring to the table as well. But now I will say this, for Cutter Crawford, he also has some very demonstrative home and road splits thus far this season as well. So overall for the season, he's posting up a 380 ERA. He's been giving up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but gets a little bit north of nine strikeouts per nine innings while giving up 2.2 walks per nine innings. So he's been able to keep things relatively clean. Does have a 623 home ERA compared to a 213 road ERA, and that's a bit of an issue. And at home, he has been giving up just under three home runs per nine innings, so that's a bit of an issue. But he's been able to iron things out recently, and his last five starts overall has given up just eight runs over the course of 24 innings. His swing and miss stuff has been able to tick up as well. And now he gets to go up against a Detroit team that he faced once this year, won five innings, gave up one run, punched out six in that start, and for Detroit, they are dead last in the entirety of the big leagues with regards to road batting average. You just don't have a lot of guys that are able to move the line for this team. As Riley Green, he has been tremendous. He's been able to give you about a 365 on base. He's hitting nearly a 300, and he's been able to get a little bit hot with the bat. But you've got two guys right now that will be able to give you north of 13 home runs. Gary Carpenter, he's up to 15 bombs on the season. Spencer Torkelson, he's been able to give you... 18 home runs. And to the credit of Kerry Carpenter, so I'll give you about a 340 on base, but 
Instead of quite a few of these guys, like a Nick Maton, Eric Haas, Jake Rogers, Torkelson, Akil Badu. These guys sitting at 230 or lower that really don't draw a lot of walks. You don't have a supreme amount of power with the team. The Tigers still in the bottom five with regards to home runs on a per at-bat and a per-game basis. Meanwhile, for Boston, you did think that there was going to be a little bit of regression coming in with their home and road split says. Coming into the series, they're hitting 288 at home compared to 235 on the road. Now, is Boston a very good hitter's ballpark? Oh, absolutely, but this one shouldn't be bigger for them than it is with the Colorado Rockies over at Coors. And when it comes to this Boston Red Sox team, they don't necessarily have a ton of home run power. They're actually hitting about 1.1 home runs per game at home. They're 18th in the league in terms of total home runs on a per-at-bat and a per-game basis. With Boston, you are starting to see some of these ridiculous splits start to iron out like Jaron Duran. He's got a non-base percentage as just less than 100 points higher when it's at home rather than on the road. You've seen Alex Verdugo at about 50 points better at home rather than on the road as well. You just go down the list and it's been absolutely ridiculous. And you do have a Red Sox team that you just take a look at this lineup and it is very, very insane what you've been able to get. Sans a 9 litter that would be Connor Wong and Luis Arias because you had Arias start out the game and then there was a pinch runner in there. Everyone else that saw an at-bat yesterday had at least a 3-11 on base. So you do have really good balance with regards to this team. Rafael Devers has obviously been the main home run hitter. Behind him, you've got Tristan Casas along with Justin Turner, who will both been able to give you right around 17 to 18 home runs apiece with Devers' 26 home runs. But with the Boston Red Sox as well, I do think that their bullpen is going to be able to do a relatively formidable job here. They've been a relatively league average bullpen with regards to their ERA, but... In fact, Chris Martin be one of the best relievers in all of baseball. He's been able to supply a sub-2 ERA. And then on top of that, the likes of Brandon Bernardino. You've had Kenley Jansen not necessarily blow as many games. Josh Winkowski, guys like this, providing a sub-325 ERA. John Triber's back at the fold. They've been able to do a good job for the Detroit Tigers. They're without Jason Foley, but they bring in Andrew Vasquez, who was very trustworthy for the Philadelphia Phillies this season. You've been able to get good production as well out of Tyler Holton. He's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Alex Lang, Jose Cicero, they've been a little bit up and down, but does feel like they're starting to find it a little bit as well. But I do think that for Eduardo Rodriguez, has a little bit of a tougher start here. I do think that the Red Sox, with those home and road splits, they're going to be able to do a little bit more of a solid job. And I do think that with Crawford having a little bit of a tougher time at home, that helps out at Tigers offense that seems to be finding a little bit more. I did set my total in a 9.2. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over, but I do think that the Red Sox should be able to get the job done in this ordeal and get into a Tigers bullpen that's relatively mediocre. So I'm going to be taking a look at the money line of the Red Sox to go along with the sign over 961, 962 on the betting board. The Tampa Bay Rays, they play us the Cleveland Guardians. Tanner Bybee is on the bump for Cleveland and Zach Eflin. Hopes to not be Eflin awful. For the Tampa Bay Rays, 7.5 is the total. The under is anywhere between minus 110 to a minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 110. And with Tampa Bay, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 185 to minus 198 favorites. Meanwhile, your plus price with Cleveland is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 169. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, I set them as a favorite of minus 176. If you're taking a look at the run line in this video, you're getting it in between about a plus 110 to a plus 115. And as long as I'm able to get that plus Plus 115, I am going to be willing to take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line. I set the minus 176 on the money line. So if we do see a 
Fade on the Cleveland Guardians, perhaps that might be something I'll be able to look at as well at a plus 177 or higher, but I don't think that we're going to quite get there. So going to be looking at the race on the run line in this spot because Zach Eflin has been so good at home this year. I believe that he has contributed in all but one of his decisions thus far this season when he's been at home. And he's home in road splits, by the way. They extend all the way back from when he was with the Philadelphia Phillies. He was so much better at home rather than when he was on the road. And that's happened this year. 13 starts at home, 10 and 2 in decisions at home. I believe that the team is 11 and 2 overall in these starts. 249 Omiri, 471 ERA on the road. He's been able to do an incredible job with his command in all fronts. He's giving up about 1.3, 1.4 walks per nine innings. And then he goes up against someone in Tanner Bybee, who's been very good in his own right. 292 ERA. He's been able to post up an 8-2 record, but you do take a look at his home and road splits, and they're pretty demonstrative as well. Buck 70 home ERA, 425 ERA on the road and on the road. He's been giving up about 1.7 home runs per nine innings and um, less than 0.2 home runs per nine innings, which is just absolutely Looney Tunes. It's absolutely ridiculous, and for Bybee, he's been giving up right around three walks per nine innings, but we are starting to see some cracks with regards to this Cleveland Guardians bullpen. We saw Emmanuel Classe blow the save yesterday. That's a little bit of an issue. Now, it is still a Guardians team that ranks in the top five with regards to bullpen areas. You've got Classe, who didn't get it done yesterday, along with Aniel De Los Santos, Eli Morgan, Nick Samlin, along with someone like Trevor Steven, who will be able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA, but certainly it feels like they're getting a little bit overworked, and obviously the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen has been getting overworked because they've been having to throw quite a few bullpen games. That's a big reason why the Rays have been a below-average bullpen over the last few weeks, as you still have the likes of Pete Fairbanks, who he's had his own hiccups in his own right. Jason Adam, Colin Poucher, guys will be able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA this far this season, having some problems. Kevin Kelly, I know that he has seen his ERA balloon a little bit as well, so I do think that this 7.5 is a little bit too low, and I do think that the walk-off wins the last two nights of the Tampa Bay Rays might be exactly what they needed to be able to spearhead something, as this is still a bunch that they've got eight separate guys that will be able to give you at least 14 home runs this far this season, and all but two of these guys are in at least a 247, and most of these guys have an on-base percentage that's north of a 338 as well. It's just absolutely incredible what they've been able to do, and they see a lot of bases as well. You've got Josh Lowe, Taylor Walls, Wander Franco, have all been able to give you a stolen base count of 20 or higher. Now, obviously, Walls has been a guy that has been out of the fold for quite a while, but all in all, this is a team that when they get on base, they're able to move the line. They've got quite a bit of thumping power, and I do think that they're going to be able to snap out of this funk offensively. Right now, the bigger concern for me is that bullpen. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Guardians, they just don't have a lot of offense to speak of because Josh Naylor is currently on the injured list. Now, his brother, Bo Naylor, in a limited amount of at-bats, he's been able to do a relatively solid job for the team as well, but now you've got Jose Ramirez serving that suspension, and with Jose Ramirez out of the fold, along with the injury to Josh Naylor, you don't have a single guy currently active that is giving you north of 10 home runs. And the Guardians have been able to overcome a lack of power. Last year, when they made the playoffs, they actually had the second fewest home runs of any team in the big leagues. But the biggest reason why is because they had Amit Rosario, Andres Jimenez, Will Brandon, Stephen Kwan, Oscar Gonzalez, all being able to hit at least a 270. None of these guys this year are hitting above a 270, and Rosario's not even on the roster. Right now, one of these guys in Quan is hitting above a 252. They pick up Cole Calhoun. He's been able to give you a few okay at-bats recently, but his team is pretty inept at the plate. 
And fortunately, I've been able to go up against a Tampa Bay Rays team that has dealt with all sorts of pitching injuries. But I do think that for the Tampa Bay Rays, they should be able to get online. Zach Eflin, he has been able to get the job done at home all season long. And I think that he's going to be able to do so once again. So we're going to be taking a look at the run line of the Tampa Bay Rays as long as they may be able to get that plus 115. And here at a 7.5, I'm also going to be going with this total over it. Now we have my DK Network right to pick. This is 963, 964 on the board. The LA Angels, they are on the road. They're facing up against the Houston Astros. As Jose Arakidi is on the bump for the Astros. And you've got Chase Silseth going for the Angels. Total on this game is 9. The over is anywhere between minus 115 to a minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. The Astros are between minus 144 to a minus 155 favorites. And between plus 126 to plus 134 is your number on the LA Angels. I did set the Astros at a minus 171 on the money line, but the write-up pick here, that is going to be on the over. Even if this goes up to a 9.5, I still like it over, obviously. Would like it a little bit more at a 9 rather than a 9.5, but set my total at 9.6 because you've got an Angels bunch that they've been able to do a solid job with regards to their just overall lineup, even with Mike Trout out of the fold. If you date this back all the way to the beginning of the month of June, you've got two of the top three teams in the American League with regards to runs per game. The Angels, they've been number three in this time span with 4.8 runs per contest, but actually lead the American League with regards to home runs in this time span as they've been able to get about 1.6 home runs per contest. Meanwhile, the Astros, they've been averaging 5.2 runs per game since the beginning of the month of June. That is the most in the American League. And for the Angels, they've got a few reinforcements on the way for them. Brandon Drury, he's been able to about a 275 with a double-figure amount of homers. He came back about a week or so ago. Mickey Moniak has seen a little bit of regression, but he's still hitting for a double-figure amount of homers. He's still been able to ride around about a 285. Randall Gritchick has been hitting darn near 290. You've got Joey Otani, 40-plus home runs, 400 on base. This is just a lineup that, in general, is very fearsome. As you take a look at the starting lineup that they had yesterday, all but two of the guys in there for the LA Angels, at least a 320 on base. And then for the Houston Astros, you get Jose Altuve back. He is hitting above a 300 right now, north of a 4 on base. He's been able to find it once again. Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, between a 375 to a 385 on base. These two guys both have 20-plus home runs, even with Jordan. Missing north of 30 games this season. Alex Bregman is up to a 350 on base. Chaz McCormick at 365 on base with some power. Jeremy Pena has been having a pretty miserable season, but he's been able to pick it up a little bit as well. And, hey, John Singleton, one of the best stories in the big leagues. He had multiple home runs in this series already for the Houston Astros. Bullpen has been a little bit above average thus far this season, right in the neighborhood about 7th or 8th with regards to ERA, but we have seen some makeups out of them as Ryan Sanic has not been what he has been in past years. You've got really a big four, in my opinion. Hector Neris, Phil Maton, Ryan Presley, and Bryant Abreu. These have been guys being able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA, but they aren't quite what they were last season, but they certainly are better than the LA Angels, as the LA Angels Overall, going into the weekend, 22nd in the big leagues with regards to bullpen area. And if you date it back to the 4th of July, they are 28th in the big leagues with regards to bullpen area. Matt Moore, Carlos Aceves have been the main constants for the team, but even Carlos Aceves is starting to have his massive downfalls. Aaron Loop has been giving up well north of a 4 ERA. You've got Aime Badillo, who's been a okay long guy for this team, but 
You've got a lot of guys outside of Moran at Stevens that are just not cutting it right now. They bring in Ronaldo Lopez and to be able to help them out a little bit. But Dominique Leon, he just has not had a great season as well. So I do think that runs are going to be very plentiful in this spot, especially with Jose Urtikiti on the mound. He's been posting up an ERA and is right around at 6'10 this year. And it's not like he's been super unlucky. Fielding independent is a 601, two home runs at 3.8 walks. Allowed per nine innings. Made his first start coming off the injured list since the month of April. Went three and a third innings against the Yankees, allowing five runs. And for Chase Silseth, he has given up two runs or fewer in each out of his last three starts. Has been able to get a little bit north of 10 strikeouts per nine innings, but at the same time, he's also been giving out quite a few walks as his walks per nine rate. That is above three. He's been also giving up about 1.7 home runs per nine innings as well. So a very interesting spot here with two pitchers that I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in. And for Silseth, he sort of went from being in the bullpen to being in the starting role. And he's been looking relatively okay in the starting role. But I do think that this is built a little bit on saying 372 ERA compared to about a 483 fielding independent. So did set my total at a 9.6. DK Network right to pick. That is going to be on this total over. And with the Astros, I set them on the money line at a minus 171. If you're taking a look at the run line, you're able to find that right around about a plus 125 to a plus 130. I was willing to dive in at a plus 115 or higher. I'm going to be taking a look at that Houston run line and what I think is going to be a higher scoring game to go along with this total over. 965, 966 on the betting board. It is the Seattle Manners, and they're going to be playing us the Baltimore Orioles. Kyle Bradish is on the bump for Baltimore, and Bryce Miller is on the bump for Seattle. Seattle, a very slight underdog, finding them between even money and minus 103, between minus 107 to minus 118 is your number on the Orioles. Eight is the total. The over is between minus 110 to a minus 120. The under is any between even and minus 110. And with the Mariners, I set them as a very slight favorite. I set them at a minus 108. The Mariners, by the way, have really been able to heat up with their offense. Over the last two months, they have been a team that has been in the top five in the American League with regards to runs per game. They still have a bit of an issue with regards to just overall batting average. You would like to see some of these guys be able to move the line a little bit better. They trotted out there the likes of Dylan Moore, Sam Hagerty in the starting lineup yesterday. So those seven through nine spots are still a little bit of an issue, but you're getting nice thumping power out of the likes of Eugenio Suarez, Oscar Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, Cal Raleigh, all guys giving between 17 and 20 home runs. None of these guys really other than Rodriguez hitting above a 242 as he entered into the day yesterday, hitting about a 260, but they give you north of a 300 on base. They do a good job being able to generate a few walks. Tom Murphy has been solid as well in a limited amount of at-bats. He's been hitting darn near 300. They have to deal with a little bit of an injury to J.P. Crawford, but on all, they're doing a good job of being able to mix and match. Meanwhile, you've got an Orioles lineup that they're actually number one in the American League with regards to runs per game on the road. And we've talked about this with Chris Sheehan, who does great work over at WTOP on the podcast a few times. It's a whole is greater than the sum of its parts lineup. Typically, when you take a look at a Baltimore Orioles lineup, you're going to find like one guy out of their top seven to eight hitters with north of a 345 on base, but really maybe one guy with below a 310 on base. Like all these guys are very balanced. They've really gotten some good production out of Ryan Mountcastle as well because we focus on the fact that Anthony Santander along with Gunnar Henderson have been able to give you combined 40 home runs, both being able to give you about a 320 on base, but... Says so coming off the endless Mount Castle, 
He has been hitting a 389 with four home runs and 72 at-bats. Do I think that that's sustainable? No, but it's been very nice to see Adley Rushman has been your top guy, being able to move lining a 275 with a 370 on base, 16 home runs. That's been sought. And then Austin Hayes is hitting a 280. Ryan O'Hearn is hitting a 300. And with all the depth that this team has, with guys like a Jordan Westberg platooning from time to time, they're able to throw out their different looks for righties versus lefties. And I think that this is such an interesting pitching matchup because I do really like the upside of both of these guys. Kyle Bradish has been able to do a tremendous job with the Baltimore Orioles, and he's been able to keep the walks down. One of the biggest reasons why Kyle Bradish did have a little bit of an issue last season is because he was giving out with regards to walks on a per nine basis, right around 3.5 walks. This year, that's down to 2.6 walks per nine. Nine strikeouts have remained relatively the same, but it's down to a 3.19 ERA. Perhaps getting a little bit lucky. The fielding independent is the 3.78, but all in all, I like what I've been seeing out of him. Three runs for fierce surrender in four out of his last five stars. And for Bryce Miller, he's had some bad luck recently as well. He's got a 3.95 fielding independent compared to a 4.20. ERA. He's given up fewer than two walks per nine innings. He's getting nine strikeouts per nine innings, but he had those two bad starts against Boston and Seattle towards the end of July into very early August in the case of that Boston start, but I do think that he's going to be able to rectify those quite a bit in first Seattle. What they've got working for them, a top three team with regards to bullpen ERA. They've done this with Penn Murphy missing darn near the entirety of the season, too. They've got likes of Gabe Spire, Isaiah Campbell, Andres Munoz, Justin Topa, Taylor Sakato, all being able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Meanwhile, with Baltimore, it's a little bit more top-heavy, and Danny Colum being out of the fold is something that you do want to know, because this is a bullpen that is dealing with a little bit of depth issue, but Jacob Webb is someone that they were able to acquire after he began his season with the Angels. He's been solid. You near Cano, Felix Batista, both of these guys still have been able to give you a sub-2 ERA this season, obviously. Batista had that rough series against the Astros, but I ain't past that. He's been able to do a nice job. Now, Shitero Fujinami is someone that I just have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. I have no idea why they picked him up. That's just not been terrific, to say the least. But I do think that Bryce Miller is going to be able to turn a good start. I think that Bradish is going to be able to hold a Mariners team that has power, but has had a tough time moving the line at bay as well. So I set my total at 7.3. I think that we get a really good pitching matchup in this one. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And Seattle, one of the most pitcher-friendly ballparks in the big league. So looking at the under. And with Seattle, was willing to make them the slight favorite. So right around even money willing to take them on the money line to go along with this total under 967-968 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals play also the Oakland A's as Ken Waldachek goes for the A's and Trevor Williams is on the bump for Washington. Washington is a favorite of between minus 130 to minus 136 and between plus 114 to plus 120 is your number on Oakland. Nine and a half to ten is the total on the ten. The under is minus 120. The over is even on the nine and a half. The over is minus 120 and the under is even. I set the Nationals as a minus 145 favorite. So I'm going to be willing to dive in when it comes to Trevor Williams. Certainly he's been giving up hard contact and Ken Waldachuk has been giving up his fair share of hard contact as well as I do think that there's going to be plenty of runs up on the board set by tell at 9.7. So I personally am going to want a 9.5 over rather than a 10 under in this spot as of right now. So we shall see how that line marinates overnight. But that's it with Trevor Williams. He's just giving up a lot of general contact right now. He's giving up 10.5 hits per 9 innings. Fielding independent is a 570 compared to a 5 ERA because he's given up two home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine rate at three. It's not great. It's not terrible, but he gets fewer than seven strikeouts per nine innings as well. Meanwhile, for our good friend and Mr. Walsh, Chuck, it's been better for him recently, but that's not saying much because 
I mean, there was a time where he was giving up well north of two home runs per nine innings, and he's still giving up 5.2 walks per nine innings. He's got some swing and miss stuff that has been a little bit unlucky this year. 6.30 ERA compared to a 5.38 fielding independent, and to his credit, he's given up three runs or fewer in three out of his last four overall appearances, but still has not necessarily been too terrific, and you've got two bullpens that just absolutely stink on ice. These are two of the bottom four teams with regards to bullpen area in the big leagues. For the Oakland A's, Sammy Long has not been any good now. I will say Austin Pruitt has given you a sub-375 ERA, and Anel Felipe has been able to do an okay job. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, Kyle Finnegan, along with Jordan Weems, they're giving you a sub-35 ERA. Those are really the only trustworthy bullpen pieces that you can find, like Amos Willingham of the Washington Nationals, Lucas Ursage of the Oakland A's. These are all guys that you can't trust in, and for the Oakland A's, they have been the lowest scoring team in the big leagues this season, and if you took a look at the lineup that they trotted out there yesterday, they had uh, three guys in the starting lineup hitting above a 220. Not good. Brent Rooker has been able to give you 19 home runs this season, and J.J. Blade, he was able to get home run number 10. They're trying out there some younger guys. Zach Uloff has actually been halfway decent for this team. Tyler Soderstrom is a young 21-year-old catcher that needs some seasoning, to say the least. And for the Washington Nationals, this team does move the line. They really don't have a lot of thumping power at all, and you saw them strand a whole bunch of men on base yesterday, but C.J. Abrams is hitting about a 300 over the last 35 days as he, Dom Smith, Ilyarmo Vargas, Don Garrett, these are guys hitting between about a 255 to a 270. Really, the lane train has been the best player for the team as Wayne Thomas has been hitting above a 285 with a double-figure amount of homers. He got the day off yesterday, so you've got a lot of things going on in this spot. I do want to take a look at an over of 9.5 rather than a 10 under just because I have no faith in these pitchers. I have no faith in these bullpens. And I do think that the Nationals are going to get the job done against a guy, Waldenchuk, that I just can't bring myself to bet. So it's a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the Nationals on the money line and the 9.5 over. 969, 970 on the bidding board. It is the Philadelphia Phillies playing us the Minnesota Twins. Sonny Gray is going to be going for the Twins. And Ranger Suarez is on the bump for Philadelphia. Philadelphia is anywhere between a minus 113 to a minus 118 favorite, and between minus 102 to plus 107 is your number. I'm Minnesota. Nine is the total. The under is minus 120, and the over is even. I did set the Phillies at a minus 132 on the money line, so I'm going to be willing to back them for Ranger Suarez. It has been a long and winding road for him thus far this season because with Ranger Suarez, he got off to a really shall we say, rocky start to the season coming off the injury list. And then he had the month of July happen where he gave up four runs and five starts. And then the month of August happened where he posted up in the area of a 6-11. And now it's sort of finding his sea legs. He has made two starts here in the month of August when it combined 12 innings, giving up three runs. So he has just been all over the place this season. And he's really had a lack of success at home. 536 home ERA compared to a 276 ERA on the road. I do think that this is going to iron out. You go back to what he was able to do more towards the 2021 season when he had his coming out party. And he had a buck 51 home ERA, I will say. For his career, Rangers Suarez actually does have a little bit of a split as to him being not so great at home rather than on the road. Meanwhile, for Sonny Gray, he has been just a little bit all over the place, and the biggest key for him is the command because he has given up three runs or fewer in all but two of his 23 starts thus far this season, but he oftentimes knocks himself out after five innings because he has been giving up right around three blocks per nine innings. He has done a tremendous job keeping the ball in the yard, giving up fewer than 0.4 home runs 
per nine innings, giving up three bombs in 67 innings on the road thus far this season. But sometimes when he just gets that pitch count a little bit too high, that puts a lot of pressure on the bullpen. And for the Minnesota Twins, it's been a hot and cold bullpen thus far this season because they're still dealing with that injury to Brock Jordy. It was one of their more trustworthy bullpen relievers. And for the Minnesota Twins overall, they're 15th in the league with regards to bullpen here. Yohan Duran has been very solid for this team. In the closer spot, Emilio Pagankil. Theobar have actually been halfway decent as well, but Jordan Balasovich, he's now got about a 380 ERA. Griffin Jacks oftentimes gets a little bit overlooked as well, but in all in all, it's just a hodgepodge for the Minnesota Twins. And for the Twins, they're the second worst team in the big leagues with regards to road batting average as they're just continuing to try their on-base power, on-base power approach as entering into the day on Saturday, you had five separate guys that would be able to supply at least 14 home runs for this team. Joey Gallo, the currently injured shock, shock, surprise, surprise, Byron Buxton, Michael A. Taylor, Carlos Correa, couple with Max Kepler. The only guy out of these five that have been able to hit above a 230 has been Max Kepler, and then you do have someone like an Edward Julian and Ryan Jeffers between about a 375 to a 385 on base. I really like what Matt Walner has been able to bring to the table. He's getting home run every above 12 or so at bats. He's been able to supply about a 360 on base. Donovan Solano has been able to move the line as well, but it's just been very strange for the team offensively. It's why they're a bottom 10 team in the big leagues with regards to road runs per game. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, Kyle Schwarber has really been the main power man north of 30 home runs, but hitting just a puck 85 on base is an halfway decent, but you need to up that batting average, in my opinion. Nick Castellanos had a really rough month of July, but he's been able to pick it up recently. Over the last 15 days, hitting more like a 280, and he's had six home runs in that time span after he had had one home runs in his previous 15 days. You do need a little bit of up at the bottom of the fold. The likes of Rodolfo Castro, Jake Cave, not necessarily cutting it, but Trey Turner ever since he got that standing ovation about a week or so ago. Feels like he's been able to turn it around. Alec Bohm, Bryce Harper, Bryson Sod, all hitting above a 285 has been solid, but you haven't necessarily had a ton of power in. JT Remuto, surprisingly, just has not had the world's greatest year either. But for the Philadelphia Phillies, this bullpen has been truly supreme over the last, we're going to call it about 45 or so days. So they're a top five team with regards to the bullpen anyway. Greg Kimbrell, for the most part, has been able to do a really good job in the closer spot. You get Sir Anthony Dominguez, bag of the full. Jeff Hoffman has been supplying a sub three ERA. Andrew Bilal is not been what I was hoping it would be, but all in all, these guys have been able to do a solid job, and I do think that with Sonny Gray just being a little bit hot and cold recently, and Ranger Suarez, though he does have some less than favorable splits at home, I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job against a Twins team that they've got less than favorable batting splits on the road as well, so it's a spot where I set my toe at any point one, looking at the under, and with the Phillies, want to lay up to a minus 132 on that money line, 971, 972 on the betting board, it is the Toronto Blue Jays playing us to the Chicago Cubs, Jimmy Sadion is on the bump. For the Cubs, and Anjin Ryu is on the bump for Toronto, and Toronto's between a minus 128 to a minus 135 favorite, and we're keeping plus 110 to a plus 120 is your number on Chicago. Nine is the total, the over, and the under, and he worked between minus 105 to a minus 115, and I did set the Blue Jays at a minus 155 on the money line. I do think that Anjin Ryu is going to be able to get locked in for this start. Has went just nine innings in his first two starts of the season. First start was very much a little bit less than savory, but looked a little bit better the second time out. And I do think that Runjin Ryu, he's just going to be able to be that steady Eddie guy. He hasn't gotten a lot of strikeouts since resurfacing at the big league level, but he's never really been a high strikeout guy. He prides himself on not giving up a lot of walks for his career. Only about two walks per nine innings for his career. 327 ERA. 
347 fielding independent this year. He has given up four runs in his nine innings thus far this season. I do think that he's going to do a good job of just being able to keep things clean for a little bit, lack of a better term. Meanwhile, for James to die on, we were talking about it with Matt in the last segment. Felt like he was just getting super duper unlucky towards the beginning part of the season. Now he's given up two runs or fewer in each out of his last three starts, three runs or fewer in each out of his last five. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to rein it in as he's not necessarily some sort of a power pitcher or anything like that. He only gets about eight strikeouts per nine innings, but does a good job with regards to command. 2.7 walks per nine innings. Has given up the deep ball a little bit with right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. But also for James Satayan, he's been pitching a little bit better on the road than he has at home. It felt like he just kept drawing all those days where the Wrigley Field wind was going up against him at home. That's a big reason why he's got a 617 home ERA compared to a 402 ERA on the road. And I do believe that that 402 road ERA is a little bit closer to what you can expect out of him. For the Chicago Cubs, it has been a up and down bullpen to say the least. Michael Fulmer has been pitching a little bit better recently. You've had Adbert Alzale really do a nice job of being able to lock it down for the team. Overall for the season, the Cubs, they're right around league average with regards to their bullpen area. But if you take a look at the last three days going into the day on Saturday, the Chicago Cubs right around 11th with regards to bullpen area. And in that time span, these Toronto Blue Jays, number seven in the league, they do lose Jordan Romano, their closer, but they pick up a different Jordan and Jordan Hicks to be able to fortify that. They've been able to get some results out of Genesis Cabrera ever since he was essentially DFA'd by the St. Louis Cardinals. And you've also been able to get some good production out of Tim Mesa along with Jay Jackson. Both of these guys have been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. It's been a winding road for Eric Swanson, to say the least, overall for the season. A 3-4 ERA and has been able to pick it up recently after about a month or so ago. He was going through an almighty funk and for the Toronto Blue Jays. It has been a very befuddling offense. They've been one of the best home under teams in baseball this season as you've got a quartet of guys who will give you 15 plus home runs as far as the season. Flagger Jr., Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, and also Danny Jansen. But as we know, Bichette, he's currently out of the fold and he was hitting a 320 when he went down. Now, I will say the man that they have called up in David Schneider, very small sample size, but fair home runs hitting a 400. He's been solid in for George Springer after he was in an 0 for 34 slump about a week and a half ago. He's been able to bust out of that as well. Last 15 days, he's been hitting more like a 275. So, and it's been refreshing for this Blue Jays team, but they've had a tough time generating offense, even though Ryan Belt, Eliander Kirk, they've been able to move the line. You've been able to have nearly a 300 batting average out of Whit Merrifield. It feels like they just get on base and they can't drive those guys in. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, ever since the All-Star break, they have been by far the number one team in the National League with regards to runs per game, as now you've got four different guys with between 18 and 19 home runs. That's good power distribution right there. Patrick Wisdom, Cody Bellinger, Christopher Morrell, Dansby Swanson, and pretty much everyone except for Wisdom on this roster has been able to do a really good job of being able to get on base, and Wisdom just has not seen a lot of at-bats recently. As you've got a lineup that one through nine on most days, you've got one guy with below a 318 on base percentage. It's been absolutely insane to take a look at. C.A. Suzuki is starting to pick it up. Ian App, even though he's not hitting for the world's greatest average, about a 365 on base. Mike Talkman has been tremendous in the field. We saw that home run robbery that he had a little bit before. And for Jameer Candelaria, obviously, small sample size since he came over with the team, but hitting a 425 with the Chicago Cubs ever since he came in as well. But I do think that for Tyon, we're going to see a little bit of regression here. And I do think that Hunjin Ryu is going to be that steady Eddie guy that the Blue Jays need in this ordeal. I did set my total at 9.3. Cannot ignore the fact that this has been a very, very good Cubs hitting team. So we're going to be taking a look at the over in this spot. But I do think that the Blue Jays, they are going to be able to get to Tyon. And 
I do think that they're going to drive men in in scoring position. So looking at the money line of the Blue Jays to go along with this total over 973, 974 on the betting board, the Miami Marlins, they play us to the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole goes for the Yanks, and Yuri Perez is on the bump for Miami. Miami is an underdog of anywhere between plus 110 to a plus 115, anywhere between minus 122 to a minus 132 is your number on the Yankees. Between 7 and 7.5 seven is the total. On the 7, over is between minus 115 to a minus 125, under is between minus 105 to a plus 105 on the 7.5, under is minus 125, and the over is plus 105. I did set the Yankees at a minus 138. I'm going to be one to ride with them. Well, the Yankees' offense has been highly suspect over the last few months ever since that Aaron Judge injury. I do think that they're going to be able to find just enough against a guy in Erie Perez who, prior to him getting sent down to the minor leagues, he had given up one runner for years, six out of his last seven starts. He just did not look like himself in his last time out against the Cincinnati Reds. So, made that start on Monday. Gives up four runs in four and two-thirds innings, including a pair of home runs for Erie Perez. He's been able to do just masterful work at home this year. Buck 10 ERA in Miami in his six starts, giving up four runs in Miami. Now, all four runs were via solo home runs. That's actually some very, very good luck, and that's a clear sign that we should be seeing some negative regression coming in for Perez, but it's been a nice swing in this guy, being able to get a little bit north of 10 strike cuts per nine innings. Has been giving up right around three walks per nine innings, but I do feel like that time off it was actually just a negative hamperance, just affecting the way that he was going out there, affecting the momentum, for lack of a better term, as well. I think that that's a bit of an issue. Meanwhile, for Garrett Cole, coming off of a rough start, giving up four runs in that start against the Chicago White Sox, but all in all, it's been very solid on the road. Ten road starts this far this season, 259 ERA on the road. He's really limited the deep ball as well, giving up about 0.6 home runs per nine innings. Overall, opponents are at 212 off of him. He's probably been a little bit fortunate on balls in play as he's still getting right around about 9.7, 9.8 strikeouts per nine innings, so you do like to see that. And then for the New York Yankees, the big key is getting the bottom of the fold to just be able to produce something for the team. And, I mean, they've got home run hitters, even outside of Aaron Judge, who leads the way with 22 home runs. He's getting a home run every about 10 or so pats. But John Carlos Sand, Gleyber Torres, maybe they able to give you 18 home runs this far this season. Anthony Volpe has been able to give you 15 bombs. But with Volpe, John Carlos Stanton, Gregory Allen, when he's been up at the big league level, Franchi Cordero, Ben Roadfit, all these guys. And a 210 or lower is an issue. Jake Bowers is hitting for about a 225 as well as to supply 11 home runs, but a lot of all-or-nothing hitters in this Yankees lineup. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, they do bring in Jake Berger and Ori Soler. Both have been able to give you north of 25 home runs as far this season, but that's it. Brian De La Cruz, 16 home runs. You really have nobody else that's able to give you north of 11 home runs. And Jed Shizlam just continues to be in and out of the full for a Miami Marlins team that they're in the top six in the big leagues with regards to overall batting average. John Birdie is made with about a 285. You've got a lot of guys like De La Cruz, Asu Sanchez, Yuli Gurriel, in between about a 262, 270. But for the Miami Marlins, they've had a really difficult time being able to generate runs at home. Part of that is because it is very much a pitcher's ballpark. And for the Miami Marlins, they pick up David Robertson to be able to help out this bullpen, but he's had some issues. I like Stephen O'Kurt, Andrew Nardi. Both of these guys have been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. And Tanner Scott has really been able to do a nice job in the bullpen as well. He's down to a sub-3 ERA as well, but Scarborough Zobin has been having his issues. Or a Lopez has been all over the place this year as well. And for the New York Yankees, they do provide the number one bullpen with regards to ERA in the big leagues. They did have to use... Uh, Ian Hamilton, along with Michael King, 
last few days, but you bring in Keenan Middleton, he provides a little bit of depth from the Chicago White Sox, and then the likes of Wandy Peralta, Clay Holmes, Tommy Canely, they've been able to give you a sub-3 ERA all season long. I do think that the Yankees get a good start from Garrett Cole, and I think that they pull out a game that is going to be incredibly low scoring. I said my total is 6.9, diving in on the under, and with the Yankees, one to lay up to a minus 138 on that money line, 975-976 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers are on the road facing off against the Chicago White Sox. Dylan Cease goes for the Sox, and Freddie Peralta for the Brewers, and the Brewers, they are favorites of any between minus 120 to a minus 126, any between plus 102 to plus 112, your number on the Southsiders in FZ total, under between minus 110 to a minus 120, even money to minus 110 is that number on the over end. For the Chicago White Sox, I did set them as underdogs of plus 116, at a minus 116 or better, I'd be willing to dive in on the Milwaukee Birds. This has been a number that's been fluctuating a little bit as now I'm seeing some minus 116s popping up as well. And if you're looking at the run line of the Birds, in order to lay a run and half, you're only getting a plus 130. I would be needing to get quite a bit more bang for my buck on this one. And when it comes to Dylan Cease, I do think that he's going to be able to go out there and deliver a nice start against a Milwaukee Brewers team. That's kind of what it is. It has been a rough sledding for this team all season long on the road there. In the bottom two in the National League with regards to runs per game on the road to only the Colorado Rockies. Their home runs per at-bat and per game on the road. Bottom five in the big leagues as well. And you've got a guy in Dylan C. says, babe, we'll give you 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings now. You need to keep the walks down. He's been giving up 4.2 walks per nine innings. That knocks him out of starts early. And this is a White Sox bullpen that they didn't have a lot to start with. Now they trade away Joe Kelly. They trade away Keenan Milton along with Kendall Graveman. So they're having to rely upon guys like Lane Ramsey, Jimmy Lambert, and company. Brent Honeywell, I actually think, is going to be okay in this bullpen. But I mean, the only trustworthy guy, in my opinion, that you've got is Gregory Santos. And you take a look at what sees has done recently. It's been a little bit all over the place because he gives up seven runs while getting five outs against the Texas Rangers and bounces back for five and a third inning scoreless against the New York Yankees. So he has been a roller coaster all season long. Meanwhile, for Freddie Peralta, it's been a little bit of a rough state of affairs for him as he has given up three plus runs and now 11 out of his last 15 starts. And for Freddie Peralta, you always know that you're going to be getting some walks out of him as his walks per nine rate thus far this season. It is in that neighborhood about a 3.7, but he's really been giving up the deep ball, which has been the biggest killer. He's been giving up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings. He's been not necessarily producing on the road as well as his road ERA. That balloons to nearly a five. He's got a 407 fielding independent. It's been a little bit unlucky because he is able to give you those 11 strikeouts per nine innings, but just have not liked his form this season. Meanwhile, the Brewers, they certainly do have a leg up with regards to the bullpen, even with Elvis Figueroa having his issue as Hobie Milner along with Joel Piamps throw in there. Devin Williams, obviously the closer of this team, being able to give you a sub-3 ERA this season, but you've also been able to get some nice production as well out of some of the unsung heroes as J.C. Mejia be able to give you a few solid innings at Ebner Uribe has been able to post up a sub-2 ERA as well. And then for the Milwaukee Brewers, the big key for this team, just being able to move the line a little bit more. They're dead last in the National League with regards to batting average. You right now have William Thomas, Christian Yelich, Joy Weimer, all giving you 13-plus home runs. And out of these three guys, the only guy up north of a 295 on base is Christian Yelich. Now, William Contreras has been hitting at 275, 12 home runs out of him. That's been solid, but they've been without Roddy Tellez ever since they picked up Carlos Santana. He's been hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. And I will say, Sal Freelich, Andrew Marisario, these are guys that have been able to do that. They're giving you north of a 350 on base. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, they just have no idea how to draw walks. 
They are dead last in the big leagues with regards to walks drawn on a per-at-bat basis. It's a big reason why going into the day on Saturday, you had one player on the roster with north of a 325 on base. That would be Ender Benatendi. He, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, all in between about a 272-285 going into the game and for Robert. 31 home runs this far this season. Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, both between 14 and 15 bombs apiece. Maybe able to give you a little bit of something, but you just need these guys to be able to find a way to get on base, and they're just not doing so, but... I do think that Cease is going to be able to turn a very nice start in this spot. So I did set my total at 8.2. Here, being able to get an 8.5, I'm going to be taking a look at the total under, and we're going to be gauging this line move on the Brewers because if I'm able to get down to a minus 116, I'm now seeing minus 118. I'm going to be taking a look at them on the money line. Meanwhile, if I'm able to get to a plus 116 or higher, I'm four cents away with the White Sox there. Going to be taking a look at their money line. So the money line play is going to be based on late night line movement. Meanwhile, taking a look at this total under, and we wrap things up with 977. 978 on the betting board. The Texas Rangers are on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb goes for the Giants and Dane Dunning looks to get her Dunning for Texas. And Texas is back to being an underdog between plus 118 and plus 126. Meanwhile, between minus 135 to minus 142 is your number on the Giants and 8 is the total. Over and under anywhere between minus 105 to minus 115. Set the Giants at a minus 146. I'm going to be one to back them with Logan Webb. He has had a few hiccups recently but overall for the season, I have full faith in this guy and with Logan Webb. He's always been such a better pitcher at home rather than on the road. And it's not like he's been some sort of a schlub on the road or anything like that, but overall for his career, he has given up about a half a home run per nine innings at home. Home ERA of a 281, 410 ERA on the road. That's obviously career numbers. If you take a look at the 2023 season, it's been a little bit more demonstrative. 223 home ERA compared to a 452 ERA on the road. The home runs per nine rate, not as demonstrative this year, but all in all, it has been certainly a case where Logan Webb has been doing his best work when he has been in the city of San Francisco. Meanwhile, for Dane Dunning, I just continue to wait for the air to pop from this balloon because with Dane Dunning, he's done a very nice job of being able to reduce on the walks that were a issue from early on during his career, but what used to be about a eight and a half to nine strikeout per nine inning pitcher, down to 6.3 this season, 321 ERA compared to a 406 fielding independent, has been quite lucky on quite a few of the balls in play as well, so that is something that I do certainly take a look at, and when it comes to this Texas Rangers bunch, obviously, you're able to have this team do a nice job of being able to put back to ball, but their power numbers dip significantly when they're on the road. They're getting about 1.7 home runs per game at home on the road. This is more like 1.05 home runs per game. You still have a Rangers lineup that if they really wanted to, batters 1 through 9 could be hitting all at least a 260, which is just absolutely absurd in the lineup yesterday. They trotted out there a young guy that was making his first career start in left fielder Julio Pablo Martinez, but that's that. You had one guy that was sitting below a 260 in the starting lineup, and that'd be Adolos Garcia with 29 home runs and in the top five with regards to RBI in the league. Marcus Simeon, along with Nate Lowe, these are guys hitting at 280. They both give you some good power. You've had Corey Seager continue to hit at 350, getting home run every about 16 to 17 or so at bats. And then for the San Francisco Giants, they do a nice job with their platooning splits, but ever since the All-Star break, they have been a bottom five team in the big leagues with regards to runs per game. Since the All-Star break, about 3.6 to 3.7 runs per game entering into Saturday. You still have seven different guys that will give you at least 11 home runs this far this season. Nobody above 15 with Wilmer Flores being that man that gives you 15. And he's been able to 300 and 
I mean, all these guys that have been able to give you at least 11 home runs, they're all giving you an on-base as well of at least a 309. So they do a good job of being able to move the line. And then someone like an Austin Slater is able to get on base for these guys. Patrick Bailey, he's been able to do a solid job at the catcher spot as well. And for the Giants, to their credit, number one team with regards to bullpen area since the beginning of the month of May. Both of the Rodgers brothers, Scott Alexander, the closer to Camilio Defoe, Ryan Walker. These guys have all been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Now, I do think that there's going to be positivity moving forward for the Texas Rangers bullpen, but it is still a Rangers bullpen that is 26th in the big leagues with regards to their ERA. They picked up Aroldis Chapman. That was a nice help. He, Brock Burke, obviously the closer in Will Smith. These have been guys that have all been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Josh Tavoris, more like a 4 ERA, but on all, you've been able to get some halfway decent production out of these guys, but I do think that for the Rangers, we are going to see a little bit of fall for Dane Dunning, and I think that Logan Webb going to do a nice job controlling this game. Recognize that it's in San Francisco, but I do think that the Giants get their offense going a little bit more here. Set my total at an 8.2. Looking at the over, and with the Giants, one to lay up to a minus 145 on this money line. Don't want to dive in on the run lines. I do think that it's hardly going to squeak above eight as that'll wrap things up for the Sunday edition of the Baseball Betting Show. Now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to Matt Menace. He does tremendous work over at Champions Round. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any questions, comments, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.